What good is the church? Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, I think this is a very important question. I'm lucky enough to be part of a church that believes that the church is meant to be a blessing to her neighbors and to the world. We really want to be that kind of church. We're just followers of Jesus who are surprised by his grace and his love for us. So it's our desire to be instruments of that grace and love as we go about our everyday lives. This is our first season of our podcast. It's designed for our church, but we hope it'll be a blessing to others as well. This series of messages lays out the foundations of our sense of where God is leading us as we enter into a new season of ministry. My name's Chad Herb. I'm the senior pastor at First Presbyterian Church of Kingwood. Welcome to the first season of our podcast. It's titled Gathered and Sent. Hey, how's everybody doing? Happy New Year. Uh, All at once, everybody tell me what's your favorite thing you got for Christmas? (laughs) Pretty lame Christmas. (laughs) Nobody got anything great. I got a barbecue pit um, and I'm going to, I'm going to just say this right now. Uh, If you've been here for a while, uh, one of our former pastors, Mark Wren is an amazing cook. I'm no Mark Wren, but last night I made the best hamburger I've ever eaten. For real, thank you. I was really, I mean, I'm really proud of it. Um, but like I said, I'm no Mark Wren, so I'm not going to start cooking it for all y'all. That's just for me. So uh, Benjamin disagreed, but I thought it was, I thought it was great. All right, well, this is exciting. Uh, it's a new year. It's a new decade. Uh, the renovations in the church are complete. Uh, so I guess there's nothing left to do. <laughs> we just show up every week, right? <laughs> I think there's a lot to do. Um, I'm excited to start this new year. Uh, It's 2020, so every organization in the world is talking about new vision and new direction in 2020, um, and our session saw this coming. So for the past seven months or so, uh, we've been working really hard uh, to establish a set of principles and values that are going to guide us and help us define who we are um, and the kind of church that God's calling us to be in this next season of ministry. Um, And the first step to developing a vision for where we're going is to establish some values, Because we could do anything. We can do anything we want. We can look around Kingwood. We can see what all the other churches are doing. We can pick our favorite things and just do that. Or we can really soberly and prayerfully reflect what is God calling us specifically to do? Us. First Pres Kingwood. This church. What has God been preparing us for? And what has God been making ready for us? How are we, as the body of Christ, as this church, uniquely gifted? And what particular things are God calling us to do in the future? So those are really important questions, and I think that those questions will help us to discern the path that God is laying out before us. And as a session, as a leadership of this church, we believe that that's the better way. That it's better to discern God's will for us as a church than just to try to keep up with what everybody else is doing. So over the next few weeks, uh, we're gonna lay out those values. Uh, We're gonna talk about the kind of church that we believe God is calling us to be, and we're gonna get started with that today. So I wanna read you a passage uh, that comes a little later. Um, It's different than the story Beth just told you, but I think we can tie them together. So let's hear this passage and see what it might mean for our future um, as individual disciples and collectively as Christ's body. Uh, So this is uh, Luke 2, and I'm going to start in verse 22. It says, When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, 
Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it's written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we've heard your scriptures read. Now we pray that you'd be present with us um, as your gospel is proclaimed. And as we say each week, we pray that that gospel would form us and shape us and transform us from the inside out. That it would be much more than just words that we hear, words that we repeat, but it would become part of who we are, the way that we live and move in the world. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. So part of his song, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. And then he says this, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So the Holy Spirit revealed to this man, Simeon, the truth of who Jesus was. And Simeon sings this song, proclaiming that Jesus is Israel's glory that all eyes will be drawn to Israel because of what her Messiah will accomplish. He is Israel's glory. And when she shines, she will shine because of him. And when that happens, it'll be a revelation to the Gentile world that the Gentile world is now also invited to the party. So, Mike, I'm going to go off the plan really quick. For those of you who don't know, Mike Doyle sits up in the booth, and he does a great job of keeping up with the slides with me, and normally we have, like, a little plan, uh, but I didn't really like something about the earlier service, so I'm changing the plan. So, Mike, good luck. <laughs> um, I did send Mike this picture just a couple minutes ago. Um, I love art, and this painting in particular, I think this painting really ties together the story that Beth told about the Magi, about these wise men. Um, and the story that I just read. Now, this was painted in the 1630s uh, by a Dutch painter. And I, don't, I can't pronounce it, but he uses uh, this technique in art with light, where the only source of light in the picture comes directly from the baby. Now, it's an interesting picture because if you look at Mary and Joseph, it's a little confusing as to what they're doing. It looks like they're concerned, right? It looks to me like maybe they're even trying to keep the Magi away. Now, this was painted in 1630. I'm not sure exactly what was on his mind, but paintings help me see these pictures as real-life events. And if I were parents who had to put my baby in a feeding trough 
and these weird dudes showed up from wherever giving the strangest gifts that you could ever imagine, I might be a little hesitant to let them get too close to the baby too. There are some paintings of these wise men uh, throughout history that are really, they kind of make them look like, uh, I don't know, they make them look silly. Like in some of them, they're wearing pantaloons, like they're dressed like court jesters. Uh, we don't really know much about who these men are, but what I love about these, this picture in particular is that they're not standing austere. They're not standing around like they know what's going on, just ready to give this kid some gifts. They're afraid. And they're surprised. They're on their knees. All they knew was that there was a star in the sky that they had to follow. They're not from Israel. They don't know Israel's story. They don't know anything about Israel's Messiah. They just knew they had to follow the star. And then they find this baby. And I love how this painting is a bit of a contradiction. That the light of the world is in their presence. And it really turns their world upside down. See, I think there's a lot of truth in this. Because this story, because of Jesus' arrival, this story is no longer Israel's story. Now that Jesus is on the scene, the whole world is now a part of God's story. The whole world is on the line. Because God's plan to redeem and restore all things is now in full effect. And Simeon says that this glory of the Gentiles is also a revelation, I'm sorry, this glory to Israel is also a revelation to the Gentiles. Beth told us epiphany means to reveal. This is truly a revelation. That word is really important. It's really important because we have to remember the Gentile world wasn't looking for a Messiah. They didn't think they needed to be saved. They didn't know anything about the story from where this kid came. The nations that surrounded Israel weren't looking to be blessed by Israel. They were just going about their lives. They were living according to whatever traditions and culture they happened to be born into. They would have had no way of knowing who Jesus is or why it mattered that now he's here. But Simeon is singing a song saying that he is as much for them as he is for the people of Israel. You see, Jesus is a revelation He was a revelation to the Magi. He's a revelation to a lost world because they didn't know they needed him. And the truth is, to bring this into our time, without exposure to his light, without exposure to the light of the world, the lost world doesn't realize that it's living in darkness. It's like being blind and not realizing that other people can see. Without exposure to the true light of the world, a lost world doesn't realize that it's lost. It doesn't realize that it's just making it from day to day, that it's living in a world without true meaning or hope. You hear this in the voices of atheists and people who have real issues with our faith. And it honestly breaks my heart because I think it comes from a place of hurt. That many of them have been hurt not by Jesus but by the church. And that they have given up. And I don't know about you, but I cannot imagine living in the world just going from day to day with no meaning and no purpose without any hope. That's a problem. It breaks my heart that people live in the world that way. I believe that the church has a solution to that problem. As I was looking through uh, things to get ready for today, I came across, I don't really care about New Year's resolutions, but I came across this list of New Year's resolutions. Um, And this is just one of the, one resource that said that these are the top four for 2020. 
uh, exercise more, save money, eat healthy, lose weight. At least in our culture, I don't know how you save money exercising more, eating healthy, and trying to lose weight. (laughs) Uh, but it doesn't really matter. Um, there's one study that said that 45% of Americans, uh, they will make a New Year's resolution, but only about 8% will actually keep it. So that made me wonder, uh, I wonder how this would compare to lists from previous years. So another quick Google search, and I pulled up the top four resolutions from 1995. Uh, the first one was stop wearing flannel. <laughs> Some of y'all got that. Old person joke. Okay, uh, it, that was not on the list. The top four, uh, improve personal finances, stop smoking. That's a little different. Uh, lose weight and get more exercise. Uh, the truth is, if you look at any top 10 list as far back as you can find of these resolutions, I mean, this is pretty much what you'll find. So that has me thinking. If half of us make resolutions, but less than 20% of those who make the resolution actually keep them, That tells me that as a culture, we think these things, look at that list, do those look like important things? I think they're important things, but we think that they're supplementary. They're secondary. At least that's how we treat them. We might think that these are necessary things, but if we make a resolution to keep them and none of us can, then we must not really think they're necessary. Maybe we agree that our lives would be a bit better if we could find the way and find the time and energy to weave these things into our lives. But they're not really mandatory. They're supplements, just to give us a little bit of a better life. I think this raises a really important question that I think each of us and the church needs to deal with. Is our faith a supplemental faith? Is our faith just one more thing that we do if we have time, if we have energy, if we get to it, because we think it'll make our lives a little bit better? Is that the depth of our faith? Is our faith just another supplemental thing? Or is our faith transformative? You see, I think for followers of Jesus, spiritual growth wouldn't show up on a resolution list at all because it should be like breathing. It should be not like eating better food, but just like eating. It's just part of what we do. Because as followers of Jesus, our lives are to be centered around the constant transformation of our very being from the inside out. You see, the Holy Spirit wasn't given to us as a tool so that we could just make a little bit better version of ourselves each and every day. When Scripture talks about what it means to be human, Scripture says that we are dead. Not that we're going to die, but that we are dead. We're dead men and women. It calls us sleepers. It says, wake up, O sleeper, come out of the grave. Scripture says that salvation and faith in Jesus is about making dead men and women come alive again. You see, I think the reason that the church has become pretty ineffective in our culture, the reason sometimes the church really does damage and hurts people, the reason that we are less relevant than we were in the past is because in some ways, we have watered down our faith to the point where our religion has become more concerned with just making us better versions of ourself. It's more concerned with just making us better versions of ourself than transforming us into the image bearers that God created us to be. 
So instead of shining the true light of the world into the darkness, we're just shouting at people. We're just shouting at people in the dark, hoping that they'll find us and that they'll follow us for some reason. Where this is true in the church, in an already noisy world that's filled with the next greatest everything, whether it's diet or way to get rich, whatever it happens to be, the church is just another voice that's offering another way to muddle through the days. But that's not real hope. There's no real healing in that. That's not salvation in Jesus, and that is not the ministry that we have been called to, and it is not what we are being prepared for. We are called to something much deeper, something that calls dead men and women into life, not just makes their day-to-day a little bit better. The problem is, this is a revelation. It's a revelation to the world. It's a revelation to the world because they don't realize that there is actually a light that's shining in the darkness. They don't realize that there is more to life than just being a wandering blind man or blind woman wading through this sea of noise. They don't realize that there is true healing, that there is real hope, that there is something transformative for our soul, for our entire being that can be found in the person of Jesus. That at its best, and when it's living into its calling, there is true healing and hope to be found in Christ's church because we are his body filled with his spirit. The world around us thinks live a good moral life and things will turn out well in the end. That's karma. That's not biblical. To a world who thinks that, Romans 3, there is no one righteous Not even one. There is no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. We just sang that song and Doran didn't write the song. It's a really old song. So I'm not disagreeing with Doran. I say again, Doran did not write that song. But in that famous song we sing at Christmas time every year, when I was a seeker, when I was seeking God, I don't know that there are seekers. I don't know that anybody is really seeking God. We might want the things God can give us, but we don't really want God as he's revealed to us in scripture. God finds us. It is a miracle when he breaks through because he has to give a blind man new sight. Romans 8 says, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God, an enemy of God, it says. It doesn't submit to God's laws and it can't. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Those two passages tell me there is a real problem. One of my favorite pastors, uh, he's an author too, his name is Tim Keller. I talk about him all the time. Uh, This is how he describes this dark world that Jesus came to save. And remember that this is the world from which we have all come. He says this. He says, according to the Bible, uh, the evil world... The evil of the world ultimately stems from the self-centeredness, self-righteousness, and self-absorption of every human heart. He would say that evil in the world is not just people who kick puppies. (laughs) It's us looking at the world as if everything is about us. Each of us wants the world to orbit around us and our desires and our needs. We do not want to serve God or neighbor. 
We want them to serve us. In every heart then, there's a little King Herod that wants to rule. And that is threatened by anything that may compromise its omnipotence and its sovereignty. Each of us wants to be the captain of our own soul, the master of our own fate. I think that's why we settle for a faith that's supplementary. Because it gives us some simple exercises and goals to make us better versions of ourselves. Make me a better king so that I can better rule my world. But for those of us who are in Christ, that's the world that we were called out of. If you were in Christ, you were called out of that darkness. You experienced an exodus. You parted, you crossed the parted sea. Your blind eyes can now see you were once dead and you're being made alive again. You see, when Simeon sang that song, he knew that Jesus wasn't just going to be the world's next self-help guru. He knew that Jesus wasn't just a teacher or a prophet. He is the light in the darkness. Salvation sent from God, the glory of Israel, a revelation to the Gentiles. Through Jesus, Israel would finally fulfill her calling. That through the Messiah of Israel, the entire world would come to know the love and the grace and the forgiveness of God. Not a simple supplement to a life that's lived in the darkness, but a dead to life, real transformation that changes us from the inside. Okay, so what? What does all that mean for us? Well, I I think two things. uh, Two things today. First, uh, and this goes into this direction that uh, we are setting for this church. Uh, If Jesus is the glory of Israel and the revelation to the nations, that tells me something about what it means for us to be the church. Uh, Last year, we went through all these Old Testament stories, and we saw that the church has been made a part of God's family. We've been adopted, grafted in. We are now a part of the people of God. So for those who consider themselves a part of the family, a part of the body of Christ, part of what it means to be the church is to grow as a healthy and useful member of that body. So what does it mean for us to be the church? One thing it means is that we gather here each week. And we had the chance to gather here in this beautiful home. We gather as Christ's church to worship. We gather to build ourselves as disciples and to serve each other. We gather as the church to become inwardly strong. We learn from scripture, we learn how to pray, we learn how to sing, how to love, how to love God, how to love others. In this gathered church, Jesus is our glory and together we bask in that glory as it transforms us from the inside out. We are called to be a church that gathers but not only a church that gathers. We are also called to be a church that's sent. You see, our worship, our discipleship, and our service to God and to the world is supposed to happen all the time. Every time we leave our beautiful church home. The gift of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' words that we are the light of the world, that's what we need to live into the call to be a people who were sent to and live for the world just as Christ was sent to and lived for the world. We are called to be a people who do, who do more than just shout out, shout out a self-help supplemental faith. 
We are called to be a people who shine the transforming light of Christ into the darkness, who give sight to the blind, who give direction to the lost, calling dead men and women into new life. So we believe that we are called to simultaneously be two churches, the gathered church, inwardly strong, and the sent church, outwardly focused. No matter where we are, filled with the Holy Spirit, we are the church, and our worship, discipleship, and mission matters inside this building and beyond it. That means that as the gathered church, then our physical campus, this place that we have just renovated, we didn't renovate it just so we'd have a nicer place to worship. We renovated it to use it. This place now becomes a training and equipping center. If you were here a few weeks back, this is our forward operating base. This is the place that prepares us to send us out. It's the place that leads us in worship so that we can be worshipers in the world. It's a place that helps us to grow as disciples so that we can go make disciples. It's a place that teaches us how to serve on mission together by serving one another so that we can then go out and serve the world. It's the gathered church that prepares and equips the sent church. And the sent church is the church on mission every day. And our mission is to make disciples of all nations by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus by what we say and what we do. So when we leave this building today, not a year from now when we're ready, when we leave this building today, we are the sent church. We are actively on mission. We are given orders from our general, from Jesus, to be a blessing, to be a blessing at home, at school, at work, and in our neighborhoods. If we do that, I truly believe that sent church is what will build the gathered church. So we believe that we are called to be both a gathered and sent church, not a year from now, not six months from now, but starting right now. That's the first so what. The second so what, this is quick and it's very practical, painfully practical. If Christ is the glory of the church and a revelation to the nations, that means that you are either basking in Christ's glory or you are lost in the darkness. There really is no in-between. Every human on earth is either basking in the glory of Christ or is lost in the darkness of this world. So what if? What if rather than judging those who disagree with us, what if we respond with mercy and grace? What if instead of just obeying our programming to think of others as the other, what if we longed to see them become a part of the family? Jew or Gentile, Christian or atheist, Republican or Democrat, liberal or conservative? What if we could learn to see all people as either redeemed or redeemable? To see all people as the image bearers of the creator of the universe? And what if we could see all people that way first? And then let all the other disagreeable things about us take a back seat. What if rather than getting upset and lashing out because an unbelieving world acts like unbelievers? Y'all, Christians have got to stop expecting an unbelieving world to act like Christians. (laughs) They're not. Why would they? We should not be offended by that. 
We should do everything in our power to make them a part of the family. What if we just remember that they're blind men and women wandering in the darkness and out of mercy and not judgment shine the light their way? You see, I think the church has a gift to offer the world. We are the one place on earth where there can be no us versus them. For us to be the church, there can only be us serving under him. All of us children sitting at the feet of our loving father. That should impact the way we treat each other. It should impact the way we speak to each other in person and online. Speaking to everyone as sisters and brothers rather than as ideologues or enemies. People whose conversations are guided by the fruit of the Holy Spirit, not by talking points or propaganda from one side or another. You see, I really believe that for a time such as this, for this generation in this culture, God has given this noisy world a gift, his church. A people who see the light, who seek truth, who speak hope and love, who offer grace, who long for the forgiveness and salvation of all people. A people who live in the world not as resolution keepers, not as a people whose faith is shallow and supplementary, but as dead to life image bearers who are being transformed every day more and more into the image of the one true king of the universe. Hopeful, I get it, I know. It's hopeful. But I'm telling you it can happen. Because we've been given the power of the Holy Spirit and it's all we need. I see it happen. Somebody in this room right now, yesterday, got into a conversation online about gay marriage and gay ordination in the Methodist church and had the most truthful, honest, and loving response that I have read. And it made me weep because it didn't sacrifice the truth or start a fight. It sought to heal and it sought to bring hope. And it was really beautiful. I really believe this can happen if we see that we are called to be a part of that solution. So this is the first part of our new direction for the church, to understand that we are called to be both a gathered and sent church always, starting right now. And over the next uh, few weeks, we'll look at what that means for worship, discipleship, mission, and then we're going to make a case uh, for these five values. And we'll talk about how they're going to help build the foundation of the church that Christ is calling us to be. Y'all down with that? Good, because that's the plan. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, grateful uh, to be used by you uh, as your church. Uh, Grateful that you have put us in this particular place at this particular time. Um, So help us to look inward, not outward. Help us to look inward at what you're calling us to be, not outward at what the churches around us are doing. Help us to really discern the church that you mean for us to be so that we can love and bless the world around us. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at www.fpc-kingwood.org. Our services are available on our website. You can also follow us on Facebook and find us on Instagram at fpc underscore kingwood. We'll see you next time.